0: Welcome to another episode of the Hold Fast podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Hausberg. I was hoping to be able to launch an episode of this podcast each week, but last week I fell behind. I was traveling, coaching sailing, and doing a bunch of sailing myself, and just didn't get the time to finish the episode. So thank you for your patience. I'm sure you will enjoy this episode with Serial Olympian, Chris Rast. One of the themes that will come up a lot in this episode is how to work with a coach when it comes to on-the-water performance and teamwork and mental performance. In advance of this episode, I sat down with my co-host, licensed psychologist and certified mental performance consultant, Dr. Tim Herzog, to ask how coaches and sports psychologists can work together to best support their athletes. Here are his thoughts.
1: I think principles of mental performance are just part of good coaching, right? But some coaches arrive at that uh, intuitively where I think sports psychology comes in as a field is that, you know, a lot of these principles of good coaching we we figure them out through research. So it's not just good intuition. It's it's really empirically tried and true. You know, I I think the ideal scenario is when Uh, athletes and coaches are working hand in hand with sports psychologists all the time. You know, the, the coach in a sense is the on the ground sports psychologist. Uh, but in, in a way that one is, is in line with the person's competence, right? Where they aren't, they aren't trying to take on a, a mental health care provider role. Um, And two, so that, you know, what their gut is telling them in terms of how to best coach um, is guided by, again, you know, principles that we've determined via research, not just through intuition.
0: You can learn more about Dr. Herzog by following the link to his website that I'll include in the show notes of this episode. And keep an ear out for his questions during the episode. Now, please enjoy.
2: After practice, like after three, four hours out on the water, we would literally race to the ramp.
0: We have salt in our blood, in our sweat, in our tears. We are tied to the ocean. And when we go back to the sea, whether it is to sail or to watch, we are going back to whence we came. This is hold fast usa a podcast about u.s olympic sailing the failures the successes and the stories behind the sailors attempting to scale one of the pinnacles of our sport i'm your host nathan hausberg and this week we sit down with three-time olympic sailor chris rast Victor Kovalenko is a sailing coach for the Australian sailing team. He's the winningest Olympic sailing coach in the history of the discipline. His sailors have won more medals and more world championships than any other sailing coach ever by a long shot. If you're a fan of football, he's the Bill Belichick of sailing coaches. And when Chris Rast was just starting to campaign for the 1996 Olympics, He was fortunate enough to have Victor as a coach. Chris went on to do two more Olympic campaigns with the Swiss sailing team. In 2000, he campaigned with Bruno Zeltner, but went to the Olympics as a coach instead. And in 2004, he campaigned with Christian Steiger, going on to finish 12th at the Olympics in Athens. And then he did something that sounds crazy. He switched nationalities to sail for the U.S., and he switched positions from a skipper to a crew. This was at a time when the US already had three really good teams, world champion caliber teams. It was a massive change of direction, but he was eager for the challenge.
2: Chris Rast, living in Switzerland with my wife and two kids. pro sailor slash coach uh been to a couple olympics um three as a sailor one as a coach and um was campaigning for tokyo but uh we had to pull the plug on this last one since we were able to come up with um enough um financial resources in order to make it uh worthwhile our time to actually campaign
0: when did you first start campaigning for the olympics
2: uh it was a bit of a last minute campaign uh went to the 1996 olympics uh, started campaigning in 1994 uh was lucky enough to take advantage of uh one of the greatest all-time coaches in the 470 victor and um we were able to qualify our country and uh qualify our own team and uh went to Savannah, Georgia. Um unfortunately it was a bit of a bust for us. A lot of things kind of fell apart uh for us during that time, but uh, nevertheless the Olympic um bug virus uh had been set and um you know, it's the Olympics has been part of my life ever since.
0: Was that like a tough decision to get into campaigning at that time?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I was, a, I was at university. Um, I, I had wanted to campaign before, but never really found someone or did not find anyone that, um, was willing to commit to the same extent as I wanted to. And then that kind of came along. Uh, his name was Jean Pierre, uh, French speaking Swiss guy. And so we, uh, we, we eventually, we uh, yeah, we committed full-time. And we had Victor, as I said, Victor as a coach. And we pretty much sailed from, you know, um, 24-7 until the Olympics. So it was very tight. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress involved. Uh, and there was things that, you know, it took me years to really fully digest all of the practice that we did um, beforehand. Just was so it was a very condensed um, period.
0: What was it like having Victor in the
2: country? Well, I experienced Victor when he was still kind of fresh out of the um, Soviet Union slash Ukraine. Uh, you know, 1992 was his last Olympics with the Russians, and he was still very much in that uh, you know s- Soviet mindset. Uh, when we got to, you know, start working with them uh, a lot of hours on the water, um, you know, we would go out and, uh, swear to God, we would do 30 minutes, uh, three sixties one way and 30 minutes, three sixties the other way, Mm. uh, and just, uh, automation, you know, uh, muscle memory. And, uh, you know, we would show up regardless and all these other teams would be doing um, a ton of like boat speed work and tuning. And he'd be like, nope, you guys are doing boat handling. You know, it's been hours just boat handling the boat around the course. And I just remember this one time we were in Melbourne. Australia and uh, these top teams had come together and they did all this tuning and they were out going miles and miles while we were doing all the boat handling. And at the end of the day, uh, we would do these um, practice races. And um, even though these were the fastest guys, you know, at this time, uh, this were a a Greek team and uh, some Australians and stuff, we would beat them uh, just because we had better boat feel. We just felt the boat, you know, more, and uh, we were able to accelerate the boat and go go around the corners.
0: Um, I understand it was it was a bit of a tall task in that first ninety 1996 campaign, um, just to qualify mm. Switzerland for the Olympics in sailing. Um, how were those trials? Um,
2: so there was another Swiss team. Actually, one of my best mates, which is kind of interesting, he more or less taught me how to sail um and he sailed with uh there are two classmates of mine high school classmates of mine and so they were trying to qualify as well um so the qualification criteria or procedure was we had to qualify the country um as usual but we also had to we had to be best swiss and we also had to um uh achieve a minimum ranking at the worlds so in Switzerland, they don't just send you to the Olympics if you win the trials, like you have to be at a minimum level. So we had to finish top eight nations at the Worlds in Brazil. And um, that was a basically you had to finish like in the top nine. And we were actually able to do that. So we finished in the top 10 at the Worlds uh, during the Olympic year, which was a pretty big feat for us. You know, our work with Kovalenko, with Richter, uh you know didn't allow for a lot of errors but i got along really well with victor um uh, and there's more issues with uh, my my crew with Jean pierre uh it's a bit of a you know it is a triangle uh, relationship and you know one guy usually kind of gets you know it's a bad guy if you want so And so it was a little bit difficult with uh, Jean-Pierre, but we kind of kept it together and things were going just okay. We had a great tuning partner who ended up winning the Olympics then that year. Um, And um, so everything was cool. But then the Swiss Federation ended up not sending Victor as our coach. Mm. And then everything just kind of fell apart. You know, we, we were so always on the edge of falling apart and not having our coach with us really just like you know just blew everything and yeah so we kind of fell apart then
1: so even though there were tensions along the way it sounds like you, you didn't want to abandon what what you had going it was a good thing overall
2: yeah I, to be honest i was still too young and green behind the ears uh, to really fully understand all of that i also like uh I, how do you say i uh i pushed that experience away or how do you say that Compartmentalized, maybe? Yeah, compartmentalized, you know, because it wasn't a great experience for me. Um, and um, But the Sydney Olympics, you know, that was the Olympics I really wanted to do, to be honest. Uh, it was a great place. Sydney Harbor, you know, they, they cordoned off the whole harbor for us. Uh, I still of my most favorite places to go sailing.
0: I'm, I'm surprised that uh, you talk about the 96 games as being kind of um, so difficult for you. But then still wanting to get back into the boat and and go to the two thousand games, why was it that you campaigned for the two thousand Olympics even after a, a difficult experience of the ninety six? Uh,
2: I, I think to a certain extent there there are different reasons that there's different, different stages why you do Olympics, right? Um, so in those Olympics, coming out of those Olympics, just kind of felt like I you know I I uh, what's the, what's the wording I I. Uh, I I I sold myself short, and you know, like mm-hmm. I I didn't really live up to what I thought I was able to do, and you know, I thought like, hey, I uh, I'm not that bad of a sailor. I think I, you know I can do better than this. You know, I need to find a good teammate that I understand, I can sail with and, and have fun with, and um, and that's what I did with Bruno. Bruno was super intense. He's one of the most intense guys I I've, I've ever known. I learned a ton from him. Super organized. Um, very focused um is in it for the long haul you know like at times when i kind of like was disappointed and depressed or whatever and uh you know had a bad regard he's like all right you know, we just got to keep chucking. we're gonna stay on target you know keep the eye on the prize like okay next event this is what we need to work on um so i learned that from him definitely and just being organized uh and so i just felt the yeah i felt i could do better you know?
0: And that was, that was, Bruno was your, uh, teammate for the
2: 2000, 2004, yeah. 2000. Yeah. where I ended up not going. We had, a uh, we had our trials in uh, Mexico, beautiful, uh, um, club met resort and all, but a couple of things went against us. And, uh, even though we're supposed to go to Sydney, we messed up. Uh, simple as that and um we didn't end up going but i was fortunate enough to go as a coach which also um uh was a very positive experience for me because i got to experience the olympics from a very different standpoint and uh you know i saw how sailors were going just crazy you know they're like in their thing and they don't really realize what's going around them and as a coach you have a, a a a bigger perspective of things um so that was the most important most interesting part for me as a coach was to kind of realize um uh how um, how sailors or athletes as such kind of like are overwhelmed uh with this kind of an event uh, so I didn't end up sailing and the conditions were like perfect. hour conditions, you know, we would have killed it, you know, kind of deal to get the classic and our, the teammates that they go, they ended up like second last. So I was like, ah, yeah, so
0: it sounds like you were, you really were itching in the coach boat to be a sailor Oh, for sure. Case. Yeah,
2: for sure.
1: Nice. It, if I can ask one follow-up question real quick on, on what you brought up, uh, you know, I'm often working with, uh, groups of people on, on that triangulation issue that you brought up. I, I wonder if you just have any pearls of wisdom that you want to share regarding how, how to fix a triangle when you do have, you know, one person is the victim another is the bad guy and another person's a hero. And, and clearly that doesn't work.
2: In our second campaign with Bruno, we did a lot of, uh, comms, comms work together. So communication, we're both type a personalities and, um, and what we used to do is we, we would carry digital voice recorders with us. And, uh, we, uh, we had these digital voice recorders. We would put them into, uh, condoms, tie them up. And we had both Bruno and I, we were at the tanks in the Swiss military, we have mandatory Swiss military service, right. And we're both in the tanks. So from the tanks, we have these, uh, collar microphones that go around your, your, your neck. And basically just like, they take the sound off of your throat right here. Uh, because it's super loud in a tank right and we would carry those and then again a lot of work you know you come in after sailing in the evening you load it onto your computer back then that was a big deal too. listen to them uh transcribe and you would we would send that to our um the guy that we're working with and basically trying to uh reduce the amount of noise in our comms uh and increase the quality of the comms the way we spoke to each other uh etc
1: I, I i love uh, how systematic you guys were from the sounds of it
2: i would say my my most uh, the, the, the campaign that i was with the, was the most successful one was the one for 2008. so what we did there um was uh, tim and i we had two more um people of that we confided in is that the right word mm-hmm. um which was uh charlie mckee and um uh jerry our uh our sports psychologist mm-hmm. jerry, jerry may uh may there mm-hmm. you go and we would uh with jerry we would have a phone call once a month we'd talk for about an hour and uh you know it might look good on paper what tim and i did but we had uh, plenty of issues early on and the campaign you know where i was just like oh whoa this this is gonna be tough (laughs) um but we we worked through it um and it just took work you know we would have to uh, i would i would bring up my notes, uh, after regatta, I would write down what was important t- to me. And so would, um, so would Tim, and there were plenty of things that we did not agree on and on how to sail the boat and what to do in certain specific situations. Mm-hmm. And basically that just allowed us to work through those points and then move on, you know, so we didn't carry it, uh, and there are plenty of things that I did not agree with. And I just had to accept mm-hmm. And, but that's, that's how it is. You know, you kind of like, you know, win a battle, lose a battle, you know, and just accept that and and move on. Most important is that you do move on.
1: I'm curious, Chris, you, you, uh, you started out the interview saying that you, you got the the bug along the way, or you called it a virus. Um, uh, You know, I, I guess I wonder, is it, is it always a good bug? Is it, you know, is it a mixed bag at all? How would you describe that bug?
2: I tell this to most everyone I see that ask me about Olympic sailing, and, and, and the analogy that I make is basically, or the example that I give is, you know, in Olympic sailing or Olympic sports as such, it's, it's it's really easy. It's a very clear goal. You want to perform at your highest level at the Olympic Games and win a medal if possible, right? And so, it's really up to you. Like every morning you can look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, so do I want to improve today? Do I want to get a step closer to this goal or not? Do I want to go back to bed and take another nap or play video games or whatever? Or am I gonna put the work in? And so, you know, your life as such is 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 very clear. Like you have a very clear goal in life of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And um and then you just gotta put your you know you gotta put your head down and put in the work um so having a, such a clear goal uh I think is something which is not uh, uh for a lot of kids out there or a lot of people it's you know it's difficult to have very clear goals mm. in their lives. Mm. Like, what am I trying to do here over the next couple of years like you know whereas if you're in the olympic circuit and, and or in sports you know the the it's it's really clear what you're trying to do right and so for me i i clear i quickly realized that like that's something i really like
0: did it change uh at the beginning of your campaign to the 2004 games
2: yeah i mean the th- the fact is sailing a 49ers is awesome it's so much fun and um i uh fell short for the 2000 um, but, uh, had everything in place. We had like the material, the boat and all, and had this, uh, young kid that was super eager to sail. I, I just really enjoyed sailing at that stage. I was just really enjoying the sailing as such. And even though Christian, my crew for the Olympics, he wasn't the world's best sailor, but he really liked it. He really enjoyed the sailing. So he was a really great campaign mate because um you know every day we went out and said so when you put a lot of hours in you know it's it's a lot more fun with someone who actually enjoys mm-hmm. <laughs> what they're doing and they like like complaining the whole time oh now we got to do another three hours of this or da, da, da. and he was just mostly on average he was a, a very you know positive kind of guy to be around with uh, and uh he's 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 kind of new to the game and i was already more experienced and um he just enjoyed it a lot and yeah so um that was cool and and then we had a good good uh, relationship going with the americans um that i always enjoyed uh working with and so um it was just a, a really enjoyable campaign
0: Chris went on to finish 12th at the 2004 Olympics in Athens with his crew, Christian Steiger. Finishing ahead of him in fifth was the American team of Tim Wadlow and Pete Spaulding. Two years later, Chris would team up with Tim using his dual citizenship to sail for the United States. you want to talk a little bit about your relationship with the American teams at at that, uh, at that point?
2: yeah you know throughout my junior years even sailing the 420s and all I'd always kind of sought out the the Americans right because it was cool to hang out with them because I was, I was a dual citizen right Tim and I started talking like hey you know Chris you know we should sail together you know kind of more jokingly and we then say like hey why don't we just like try it out and um there are a couple of reasons that went into that decision for me to sail with Tim, so I went to went to the US. It was like um, March two oh six or so, um, for a camp in Miami, and we had um, we had Morgan and Pete, we had Dalton and Zach, uh, ourselves, and another JV team, as we called them, uh, and um, you know it immediately became clear that. First of all, like Morgan and Pete were top notch. They were top five in the world already back then. They finished second at the Europeans the year before. And so immediately it was clear like, whoa, wow, we got a really good we got a really good crew here. And the level's pretty high. And Dalton and Zach, awesome team too. So um I had a I had a really good helmsman. We had a great coach with Luther. We had top-notch teams uh, within the squad. So we had a lot of things that would ensure that one of us three would be going to the Olympics in very good shape of bringing a medal back home. And so those factors were the most important factors for me to commit um, for another campaign.
1: And I, I wonder that competitive energy having such a strong
2: squad. Um, you have no idea, Tim. Yeah. You have no idea. Do you know, Pete, talking about competitive, after practice, like after three, four hours out on the water, we would literally race to the ramp. We would be dead tired, but Pete would not give an inch. He would want to beat you anytime at any time. You know, place he didn't care how much time you put in the boat or how long you sail, like he's going to try and beat you every single time. And uh, I, you know, they made us Morgan and Pete made us, you know, uh, a really good team.
0: It seems to me that, I guess, from your perspective sitting there, um, that just would make the leap to a new campaign in the U.S. like all the more scary and all the more ambitious given that. You know, you and Tim are starting out at a time when Pete and Morgan are like already really good, be Perfect. established.
2: Perfect setup. Like, what do we have to lose? You know, I mean, bar set up here. Qualify, right. You know, I the mean, the pressure's could... on them, not on us. Okay, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted trials.
0: In part two, we will return to Chris as he describes how his unique training prepared him for an upset win in the 2008 Olympic trials and how the 2008 games didn't turn out exactly the way he was expecting. But I thought this would be a good time to mention a cool project that Chris is working on right now at his home in Switzerland. He hasn't sailed Olympic classes for a few years now. But he has developed a new robotic buoy system to help race committees set up courses autonomously. It's called Robomark.
2: A couple years ago, that U.S. product kind of got on the market, the MarkSet bot, and um, I, me being a technical kind of guy, I'm like, oh wow, that's kind of cool, you know, da da da. And together with a buddy of mine, I talked about it, and I just saw some of the shortcomings of that design. And I'm like, you know, can we make this better? Like, can we like be able to tow it? Can we like program it more? Blah blah. blah. And and so we started working on it, and um, we were able to put the finishing touches on it just recently over the last coming months, and have now developed a system, a full system with these uh, robotic marks that. Um, hopefully will uh, live up to the expectations that we made originally and um, so we're pretty excited about it
0: robomark is now being used at regattas throughout europe and is available for pre-order on their website robomark.ch go check it out in the meantime stay tuned for part two of this interview with three times olympian chris rast
2: Back then, the trials was the most gruesome event ever. Um, 24 races over one week. Um, three days of racing, one day off, another three days of racing. You know, the regard went on forever.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hold Fast podcast. If this is your first episode or you haven't had the chance yet, please make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're using so that you won't miss the next episode. Also, please consider leaving a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to helping the stories of these athletes get shared. You can also support this podcast by following our Instagram, holdfastusa, all one word. There you can share your favorite quotes from this episode. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.